Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And one of the most interesting books of the New Testament is the book of Galatians. I call it one of the most interesting because the book itself has been referred to as the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. Within its pages, Paul maintains that man is justified by grace through faith, separate and apart from the works of the law of Moses. The occasion of the letter was the influence of false teachers upon the Gentile converts in Galatia. Certain Jewish Christians were essentially calling into question Paul's apostleship and the message that he taught. They were demanding that the Gentile Christians adhere to certain aspects of the law of Moses in order to be saved. The issue seems to focus upon circumcision. In addition to this, the political situation in Judea was pertinent in the book as well. We know that Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD under Titus, who would become the emperor of Rome. What is not quite so well known is that a movement by the zealots in Judea actually led to that destruction. One of the things the zealots did was to begin a campaign to destroy any movement or man among the Jews who advocated relationship with the Gentiles. Someone teaching a doctrine like Paul taught would have been a ready target for them, as well as any Jew who followed what he was teaching. Because of this, some of the Jewish Christians sought to avoid persecution from the Jews by leaving the impression that Christians were not communing with Gentiles. Still other Jewish Christians sought to require the Gentile Christians to be circumcised, teaching that it was essential to salvation in order to avoid the persecution from the Jews. Looking at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 12, we read, Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So you see, my friends, there was such an interesting and engrossing dynamic going on. These were real people in a real situation living their lives to whom Paul addressed this letter. I want us to focus upon chapter 2 in this episode. The first 10 verses of chapter 2 continued the theme of chapter 1 the defense of the gospel Paul preached by defending his authority as an apostle. Paul had made the point that what he preached, and not just in Galatia, but everywhere, he had received from the Lord and not from man. In Galatians chapter 2, he further defends his message as having been confirmed by the giving of the right hand of fellowship by the apostles and other leaders in Jerusalem to him and Barnabas and through his public rebuke of Peter. Let's see if we can understand what happened. First, we'll turn our attention to Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. There the Bible tells us, 
Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. The first part of Galatians chapter 2 describes the Jerusalem conference, if I can call it that, that we read about in Acts 15. Notice how in Acts 15 verses 1 and 2 set the stage for what happened in Jerusalem at that conference, again, if it can be so called. Paul and Barnabas had completed their first evangelistic journey, and they were back in Antioch. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this question. What to do with and about the Gentiles? That was the essential question. However, do not be mistaken about this gathering in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas did not go to Jerusalem to learn the truth from the apostles there. They knew the truth. Paul had received it by the revelation of the Lord. He did not depend on the other apostles to instruct him. And we need to understand that this conference in Jerusalem was in no way like denominational conferences today where delegates meet to make decisions on various issues and to determine policies to govern their churches. Paul and Barnabas did not go to Jerusalem on this occasion in order to reach a policy decision through discussion with others. No, sir. They went there to present the truth that they already knew. We know that as a result of that meeting in Jerusalem, the church there was persuaded to take a strong and firm stand against the Judaizing teachers and to publicize the fact that what those false teachers were teaching did not represent their position. This is Paul's point in Galatians 2. Not only had he shown that he received the gospel message that he preached by direct revelation and not by man, but he also showed that the apostles in Jerusalem had agreed with what he taught and sought to clearly separate themselves from the false teachers 
who were requiring circumcision among the Gentiles. Even while Paul had been in Jerusalem for that meeting, certain Judaizing teachers, false brethren, sought to compel Titus to be circumcised. The Apostle Paul and those with him stood firm in opposition to their error. What a lesson to be learned. As we saw earlier in Galatians 2 and verse 5, Paul wrote, But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Paul and the other brethren from Antioch would not succumb to the demands of the false teachers even for a moment. Doctrinal issues were at stake here. Matters of salvation were under attack. Paul would not yield. Why not? What was the big deal? Why not pat them on the back, encourage them in their air, pretend everything was okay, and have peace and happiness? The answer is simple, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9 really gives us the conclusion of the Jerusalem conference as far as Paul was viewed by the rest of the apostles. It says, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. My friends, we must, like Paul, be unwilling to budge an inch where doctrinal matters are involved and the purity of the Lord's church is at stake. The modern idea of don't say, do, or teach anything that will make someone angry don't tell anyone that they are wrong is absolutely and undeniably contrary to the very spirit of the gospel. The actions we see portrayed by Paul in Galatians chapter 2 clearly show that being a Christian is not a game. It is a deadly serious business and sometimes you have to stand up and stand no matter who it is you might have to stand opposed to. A big name well-known preacher or your best friend Error is error, and it must be exposed and opposed. By way of example, let's now read verses 11 through 14 of Galatians chapter 2. It tells us, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We can determine from what Paul had written what took place in Antioch. Peter came to Antioch and worked among the brethren there without showing any Jewish prejudice. He labored with the uncircumcised Christians, sharing meals with them just as he had done with Cornelius some years before, remember Acts chapter 10. However, sometime later, brethren from Jerusalem came to Antioch while Peter was there. They evidently claimed that they had the authority of James. They came claiming that the Jewish Christians should observe the law of Moses and abstain from eating with the unclean Gentiles. 
These brethren put enough pressure on Peter that he gradually began to withdraw association from the Gentile Christians until he was altogether separated from them. Paul's closest associate, Barnabas, was also carried away by Peter's hypocritical action, and he withdrew from the Gentiles as well. When Paul saw the situation that had developed, he confronted Peter openly with the hypocrisy of his actions. This account is also present in Galatians because it demonstrates to them and all others who read it that Paul's gospel message had also withstood the test of public confrontation. It survived the heat of the polemic platform. Now let's look at some of the words that are used in the account. In verse 11 we are told that Paul opposed Peter to his face. The verb means to set oneself against, oppose, resist, withstand. Well, Paul withstood Peter to the face. He did not gossip behind his back. He withstood him face to face. This doesn't indicate hostility, only a face to face encounter. So many think that if you stand up and oppose, resist someone who has sinned or is teaching a false doctrine, that there is hostility there. But that is not necessarily so. In fact, to fail to resist them in their sin and error from a spiritual standpoint, would be much more hostile and unloving. In his actions, Peter stood condemned. That can mean to stand condemned before God, to stand self-condemned in the sense of doing that which one's own conscience knows is wrong, and it can mean to stand condemned by his own actions. All three of those are applicable with Peter's actions. With Peter, in this case, the problem was that with his conduct, not with his understanding of the doctrine. He believed and preached what was true, however he did not hear live up to what he knew was right. Like many of us do from time to time, he preached a better sermon than he lived. Because he was inspired in his presentation of the truth did not mean that he was immune to personal sin. Notice also the power of example that is manifested in this incident. Barnabas was no young, inexperienced Christian. He had labored with Paul on the first evangelistic journey when they took the gospel to the Gentiles. He was sent by the Jerusalem brethren to investigate the situation at Antioch where the gospel was being preached to the Gentiles to assure that everything was in order. He had been at the conference in Jerusalem. However, when he saw the conduct of Peter and the other Jewish Christians from Jerusalem, he acted contrary to his own conscience and followed them in their hypocrisy. This shows the danger of following men, even great men like Peter. Some will believe something because somebody said it, and that's not good enough. Scripturally unauthorized innovations and changes often make inroads into the church because some well-known brother writes a book and people become enamored with it whether it is sound biblically or not. How did Paul deal with the situation? When he saw that Peter, Barnabas, and other Jewish Christians were not being straightforward with what they knew the gospel to teach and were acting hypocritically, he publicly opposed Peter to his face. I want to mention something here. I don't read of a private session between Paul and Peter taking place before the public rebuke, nor of a second meeting taking place with two or three witnesses before the public rebuke. This was a public matter 
with the public sin that needed to be dealt with publicly immediately, and it was. One commentator wrote, Well, Paul gave Peter a public rebuke, public not as a deserved punishment for him, but so that all might hear it for their own good. A public wrong is not to be corrected in private. It was Peter who sinned as a public man in a public way. He forced the public rebuke from Paul. He made it necessary that all should hear. I would like to say to that, Amen and Amen. You know what the trouble is with those publicly teaching and endorsing error? There is no way to rebuke them that they or their cohorts are going to like. The actions of Paul clearly show that Christianity is not a game. Where the Lord has spoken, we must stand, and that is regardless of the consequences. I hope you'll give serious consideration to these words. Thanks for listening.